Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. All right, well, good morning. Y'all did that so well. Good work. So Pastor Pete's not with us today. Um, so I'm standing in and I'm excited to do that. Today we start a new series. If you've been journeying with us, you know that this year we're focusing and, and, and hoping to grow in our understanding of what it really means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Well, this week starts a series of messages that'll lead us to Easter called Journey to the Cross. Um, and the message this morning is going to focus on, uh, on an idea that it's essential to, to that journey. Uh, it's the idea that Jesus is a different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom. And I'm going to ask you to help me with that. So, you know, for last time we did the, the three messages, my voice started getting weak at the end. So I'm going to give you guys a line to make this easier on me so that all I have to do is this. And you'll say it, and I'll make it through four messages, all right? That's the idea, okay? So your line is this. I just said it. A different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom, all right? So I'm going to point at you. You're going to do it. Okay, ready? On your mark, get set. A different kind of king for a different Well done. You guys got it. I'm confident this is going to work, all right? So here we go. All right, very good. So we're jumping into the gospel of Luke. And uh, you know, we're going to be making our way to a pivotal moment in Luke's gospel when Jesus announces um, what makes him a different kind of king. And, see, I just did it. What makes him? Nice, you got it. All right, so Luke helps us do that. But, but in order to get to Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where we're going to stop, we've got we've to... Lay a foundation, okay? So what you don't know about Luke, or what you may know about Luke, but you need to be reminded of this morning, is that he wrote this gospel to a specific person. In fact, Luke and Acts are, are companions. They go together. But uh, the gospel of Luke was written to a guy named Theophilus. Great name, right? And what Theophilus means literally is lover of God. And so whether your name is Theophilus or not today, are you a lover of God? This letter's for you, right? Isn't that pretty cool? So, and in a lot of ways, we can identify, uh, not with a guy you know, who lived 2,000 years ago, whose name was Theophilus, but that his life experience is much like ours. This is the other thing that's cool about the gospel. Luke is written by a guy named Luke, whose name means literally light or giver of light. How many guys can admit you're still just a little bit afraid of the dark? Let's be honest. Like you really do try to take the trash out before the sun goes down because you're like, I don't know what's going to happen out there if I take the trash out when it's dark. Or uh, maybe, you know, you're, you're walking through town from point A to point B and you're fine doing that during the day. But when it's dark, you're like, no way. That's crazy talk. It's not just for kids. No, I was looking at some studies earlier this week about this, this phobia or this fear of the dark. And why it is that we're afraid. You know, we've got two kids um, who were still in elementary school. And I was surprised to learn that the, the peak 
ages for fear of the dark, it's not like four, five, and six, or seven. It's above that. It's eight, nine, 10, 11. It's those ages when you think, well, you would have outgrown that. But the reality is inside, you're still just like, oh, it's dark. And then that's scary. But what is it about darkness that's so scary? The reality is like at our house, in the middle of the night, if I get up and I go to the restroom or I've got to go down the hall to make sure the door was locked, the front door was It's the same house. It's the same hallway. But inside, I'm wondering, uh-oh, is, am I going to step on something? Am I going to trip over something? Is someone around that corner? And this is, this is the truth. This church building at dark is even a different animal. I walk around here all the time during the day, but at night, I'm walking down that hall, and I look inside a window, and there's like a little baby lying there in the nursery, you know, one of the plastic ones, but it's like, oh, it's like <laughs> scary, right? Like, what's going on here? Uh, that's the way darkness works. And what darkness does is it, it produces doubt in us. And that doubt takes away our feelings of security. And beyond just physical darkness, there's a, there's a darkness on the earth that produces doubt in us. Think about what's happening on the other side of the world for the people of Ukraine. That is unimaginable darkness. All the suffering, the war, the violence. And it's causing them to doubt, I'm sure. Some things that we take for granted, like, does God love me? Does he see me? Does he care? Does anyone else in the world care? Where's the help coming from? If they do, why not this? You imagine all those questions are a product of the darkness that's a part of life on the earth. And it was true for Theophilus too. Luke writes this letter to Theophilus and he makes it clear from the jump what he's doing. He tells Theophilus, I'm writing you an orderly account so that you may be certain of the things you've heard about Jesus. Read between those lines. Theophilus is struggling with doubt. He's heard some things, he's believed some things, but now he's wondering. And Luke's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm gonna give you facts and figures and an abundance. I'm gonna give you this orderly account so that you can be sure. And it's assurance for us too. But it's more than just facts and figures. He does give us the names of all these different rulers and just the time when this happened and all this kind of stuff, which is different about Luke's gospel than a lot of the others. But more than just facts and figures, he's also fixing our eyes on... Uh, different kind of kingdom. That's right. A different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom. He, he wants us to see a king given to mission and ministry that's just different to dispel the doubt. Luke's a physician. We know this because in Acts, this Luke is traveling around with Paul uh, and we're told that that's, that's who he is. That's what he does. And so in a way, this is the letter from Luke to Theophilus is, is a prescription for doubt to help Theophilus, to help all of us, anyone who's a lover of God, deal with the doubt that comes with an unsettling darkness. So I wanna pray for help with that. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and thank you for being God, God Almighty, God in heaven, but also God with us. Jesus, thank you for living the life you lived, dying the death you died, bringing the kingdom you brought, the kingdom of light. So Lord, help us 
to recover an appreciation for just how glorious this kingdom is and what being a part of this kingdom really means for us. Lord, help us to recover the whole gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I told you, I mean, Luke has business to tend to, and he starts with this. He says, this is what I'm doing, and then he, he just starts sharing the good news. But the good news is a little different in Luke's gospel. It produces these hallelujah moments. Like you hear Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph receive this good news, and then they're, just, they're bursting into song. Elizabeth sings a song. Mary sings a song. Like they're all just sing, sing. It's a musical in Luke's gospel because they can't help themselves. The news is so good. But you also have, amid all these hallelujahs, you also have these humble origins again and again and again. It's Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph who receive these dreams. It's songs of praise and worship, of course, but it's a lowly birth in a manger. It's, it's the town of Bethlehem. It's, it's Nazareth where he's raised. When they bring him to the temple, all they can offer are a couple of birds. They don't have a lamb because they're not a wealthy family. They, they are, um, and everywhere you look, Luke is painting a portrait of humble origins mixed with these hallelujah moments. And that's important because it points us to different that's right. So as all this is going on, it brings us to Luke chapter 4. Jesus has just finished feasting in the wilderness, or fasting in the wilderness, I should say, not feasting in a palace. The food in the wilderness, mmm. But this, this sets uh, us up for, for an acquaintance, uh, an introduction to a different kind of king, a different kind of kingdom, right? Like, he's not feasting in the palace. Instead, He's fasting in the wilderness. And then he arrives in his hometown. Luke chapter four, starting in verse 14. This is the story I want us to, to jump into this morning on our way to Luke chapter nine. This is what it says. Uh, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. And then he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. So he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you. He continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman 
the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. So they got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Like, I love this episode in the life of Jesus. Now, he's already started doing some things the world is taking notice. But he goes back to his hometown to really officially like kick off things. He grabs the scroll of Isaiah. He reads this messianic text. that He says, this is me. I'm here as the anointed one. And everybody is just amazed. Notice the difference between verse 22 and verse 28. In verse 22, it says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Like, like what happened here? Such a great start. What happened here was the whole gospel. Not just the part they'd been clamoring to see or to hear, that we have a rescue. Jesus was drawing lines for rescue that went well beyond what they expected. The widow in Zarephath, a Gentile, not a Jew. Naaman, who had leprosy, a Gentile, not a Jew. And in his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus is declaring, I'm here from heaven for the whole world. They don't like how that sounds. Jesus makes this announcement. They take him to the cliff to throw him off after being so glad he's home and he sounds awesome and isn't this great? And then they're like, throw him over. But Jesus just walks right through them and it says, he went on his way. And what happens next in the gospel of Luke is what it looks like to go Jesus' way. What is his way really? Well, his way means Darkness trembles, sickness flees, fishermen become fishers of men, the untouchable are touched and made whole, sins are forgiven, and paralysis undone. This king is... Hold on to it, people. Stay with me. That's right. A different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom. This king is the friend of sinners. He's a groom with the best of intentions. He's the Lord of the Sabbath, a blessing to the burdened, merciful and just. He's a long distance healer. He heals when he's not even in the room. He's a dead son reviver. He touches a coffin, a kid sits up alive, gives him back to his widowed mother. And the question on everybody's mind as this is going on in Luke's gospel is, who is this? Even John the Baptist's disciples are wondering. In John chapter 7, verse 18, John's disciples told him about all these things. And so calling two of them, John the Baptist, sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to see Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, 
Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus isn't just saying it, he's doing it. And in a way that proclaims loud and clear, I'm the king. Jesus really is. You know, most kings come with an agenda to dominate, to sit on a throne and be served. But this king, he's going to those no one serves. He's reaching for those everyone has written off and he's bringing them in. He's bringing them back. He's making them whole. This really is a different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom. And the people are waking up to that. John's disciples go back and tell John, and I just imagine John's joy in his cell as they come back and they tell him. But I think John knew. I think John knew this was the king. But I think John wanted them to see for themselves and hear for themselves. He sent them with a question, knowing the answer. And they came back. Can you imagine the looks on their faces? John, you won't believe what we saw. You won't believe what he said. I think we've had moments like that. Each and every one of us, right? When we've seen God do what God does. And we've seen it in our lives. A reversal of fortunes. But Jesus had a question too. And in Luke chapter 9, he asks it. In verse 18, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? Well, they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. A Hebrew word for Christ or the anointed one. You're the one we were told about. You're the one who's anointed to be king, to make it all right. Peter declares this. And the way Jesus responds is he doesn't clap for Peter. Good job, bud. You got it. But he goes on to explain that he is a... That's right. After warning them not to tell anyone, Jesus said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now, whoa, that doesn't sound like the kings we know. That doesn't sound like the triumphant, like make it all rosy and bring us back for the Jewish people who have been subjugated at the very bottom of the totem pole. This isn't the king that's like, hey, all you guys come on up. I'm gonna go to the throne, I'm gonna sit and it's all gonna be okay. So Jesus is making it clear that he's a different kind of king and it's a different kind of kingdom. He's here to serve, not to be served. He's here to offer his body as a sacrifice, not to receive sacrifices from others. Fast forward to Luke 9, 51. And Jesus makes an announcement. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. We're just gonna sit right here with that one sentence. 
and make a couple of observations. If you were here for Ash Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, you heard Pete speak to this message, to this, this verse, and marvel at, at what's going on here. Did you notice there's, there's two destinations named in this verse? As he was, as the time arrived for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Isn't that kind of, when Elijah knew it was time to go to heaven, what did he do? Book passage on chariot of fire, sat down, put the seatbelt on, off he went. But not Jesus. Jesus has work that's unfinished. And when it came time for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he knew he had to finish some work, that he had to go to Jerusalem. And not just like, oh, there's one more place I got to see before I go to heaven, but I'm going to the cross. Different kind of king, or different kind of kingdom. Jesus set his face, your translations may, set his face toward Jerusalem, or moved in a resolute way. He was determined as a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom. And all of this, this moment is a pivot point in Luke. From here on out, everything Jesus does is on the way to Jerusalem or in Jerusalem. That's the way Luke's story goes. But everything before, of it, before it sets the foundation. It's important to recognize this. The people expected a king. They expected a Messiah. They expected a deliverer. They just didn't expect him to show up in Nazareth. The child of a carpenter and a, a young girl. They, they didn't expect him to, to walk dusty roads and put his hands on lepers. They didn't expect him to be like this. They wanted a king, but Jesus was giving them more than a king. And as Jesus makes this decision and he sets out resolutely for Jerusalem, he's modeling for us what it means to be a part of his kingdom. I love the good news of the gospel, that my sins can be erased, that I can have confidence in an eternal home with the Lord. But that's not the whole gospel. There's also an invitation for me to enter in to kingdom work with a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom, to be one who, who journeys with Jesus. And it's all over Luke chapter nine. Uh, in fact, Luke chapter nine, verse 62, or starting in verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, that ain't easy. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Yeah, I'll follow, yeah, I'll go, yeah, I'm with you, Jesus. Do you know what that means? Do you really understand that? People, we're living in dark times. 
And Jesus models it for us clearly. If we're with him, we're running into those dark places. We know we have a mission to bring light. Luke, a man whose name means light, shares a gospel that is constantly pointing to Jesus who brings out hallelujahs but also calls for humility. And Jesus lives it resolutely. We talk about putting feet to our faith. And I want to invite you to stand with me. And I just want to challenge you this morning to consider who you've been following. Actually, this is it. This is, this is the big idea today. It's just the start of a series of messages that are going to challenge you. It starts with the question Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? You've got an answer. You've repeated it a few times this morning. Who do you say that he is? Well, I hope you say that he's a different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom. But there's so much to say about who Jesus and to understand about who Jesus is. I want to invite you really intentionally into a f- several weeks set apart to grow in your understanding of who Jesus is and what it really means to follow him. It's good news. It really is. And it's not just good news for you or for me individually. It's good for us collectively. It's good for the world. If only we'll hear and respond to the whole gospel, all of it in his glory. He's a good king. We're gonna sing a song this morning, a response song. It's an old hymn. I hope you guys know it because I'm helping sing it. Okay, so you got to help out here, all right? Um, but, but it's a song that, that is a commitment. And you'll hear it as we sing the words. To forsake things that we might focus on in exchange to, to fix our eyes on Jesus. It's the old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. As you sing it, my challenge for you is that it really is responsive. That we'll sing these words and we'll mean them. And there'll be a commitment the next several weeks to fix our eyes on him, to join him in his journey to the cross. Let's sing together. When I survey the
have to offer, what you have to give as we enter into this time, um, a journey to the cross. God from afar, more than a God in heaven, but also a God with us. We thank you, Jesus, for being a different kind of king, for a different kind of kingdom. And Lord, we, we are moved by who you are. And Lord, we want to we want to respond by following you wholeheartedly. So Lord, we pray for your help in that. 